Welcome to the Muso Church Podcast. Here, we share the powerful and practical gospel of Jesus Christ until everyone is free and flourishing. We're so excited that you're here. Wherever you're listening from, we are trusting and believing that God is going to touch your life through this podcast. We're on John 14. John 14, the Bible heart be troubled. And Colin, this was not a suggestion, it was a command. Jesus was not suggesting, he was commanding, let not your heart be troubled. He was giving an instruction, let not your heart be troubled. He was not having a conversation, it was, this is what I'm saying to you, don't let your heart be troubled. And the, the crazy thing about this whole thing is when does he say this? You see, <laughs> Jesus, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me just go with my notes so that I can. John 14 verses 1 to 4. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You, you know the way to the place where I am going. And when we jump to verses 8, the Bible says, Then Philip said, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. There is a guy by the name Stephen Lenton. Stephen Lenton is believed to be the guy who divided the Bible into chapters. So the Bible that we are using today, uh, Stephen Lenton is responsible for dividing it into chapters and books as we know it. It was just one long kind of a, a, a reading and, 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 and around 1244 and to 1248, he, he kind of put it in chapters. And why is this important? Is because when we read John 14, we can't read John 14 in isolation. John 14 is what is, is part of what is called the upper room discourse. The upper room discourse is Jesus' last conversation with his disciples. And it ranges from John 14 all the way to John 17. So John 14 to John 17 is one conversation. John 13 up until John 17. So when you read it, don't read it as isolated events. It's one sitting. So in just creating a sort of like an understanding uh, so, why is this important? So that when you un want to understand the context of that, you must understand that this conversation happened around the table with 12 disciples. In fact, they became 11 because during that conversation, Judas was sent to go and buy bread. Wow. Yeah, he went to go and sort out some other things. Jesus even says, Judas, make it quick. Guys, I want to I wanna give you a tip. When you read the Bible, don't read a verse. Read the whole book 
It just helps you so much. So Stephen Linton kind of created the situation. So in order for us to understand, don't let your heart be troubled, we need to understand the context of the conversation around the table. The context around the table is that this is the last conversation they will ever have with Jesus. Jesus is about to be crucified. He just told them that, guys, I'm going to die. And now, the, 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 who is Jesus speaking to? Jesus is speaking to predominantly guys who know the Torah. They grew up reading the Torah, so they are well vested in the Torah. And these are the Jewish people. Matilda. Now, what makes this a challenging thing is that the Jewish people, they had an anticipation for their whole lives of the coming of the Messiah. And you must understand their understanding of the coming of the Messiah was not, the Messiah they were promised was not the Messiah who showed up. Because the Messiah they were promised is the one where he says, Now unto us a child is born. He shall be what? A wonderful counselor. He shall be a prince of peace. He shall be a mighty warrior. He shall be an everlasting father. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And to his rule there shall be no end. He just said he's going to die tomorrow. This is not the Messiah we were promised. The Messiah we were promised was supposed to come riding a horse with a big sword, not riding a donkey. The Messiah who we were promised says, the Spirit of the Lord is, on, is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news. What you are telling us now is not the good news. He says, I am here to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to declare that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And suddenly he says he is going to die. This, this is, I mean, guys, imagine we're waiting. We are stranded. We are in trouble. And they say the hero is coming. And, and, and we're sending, we're panicking, we're panicking. And then the hero finally walks in. And we see the hero walking in. We're like, yo, 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 yo. Now we have confidence to say, our hero is here. Yo, 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 yo. It's, we're about to defeat our enemies. Even though we boast and say to your enemies, now our hero is here. You are about to see. And then the hero comes in and says, guys, I'm about to die. <laughs> My guy. We were waiting for you to come and change the situation. Now you're saying you are dying. How does that, how does that work? Can you imagine the anxiety of the disciples? Imagine that these are people who left their lives to follow this guy. And three years into it, you are going to die? That's, oh, it's myself. I'm wondering, who's, 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 who's preaching now on that side? What's happening? I'm like, I'm like what's, what's going on? And I think this creates context for, for that statement. And then Jesus then, after saying all that, he comes and says, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm like, Jesus, do you, are you hearing yourself? How? How? You're not even saying, hi guys, you know what? Don't worry, man. It's going to be okay. You're saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Because I think in that, Jesus kind of gives us a painting or a picture of how do we process troubled times. How do we process challenging times as Christians? How do we process? Because you understand, he is demystifying the myth that he has come to win all the earthly battles. In that moment, he's demystifying the fact that he has not come to heal all the bodily diseases. He's demystifying the fact that he has not come to give you all jobs. He's demystifying the fact that he has not come to give you all marriages. He's demystifying the fact that he has not come to make your life in this world comfortable. Don't let your heart be troubled. But Jesus, you have not killed our enemies. Don't let your heart be troubled. But Jesus, you have not taken down the Roman rule. Don't let your hearts be troubled. But Jesus, you have not done this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me as you believe in the Father. And you're like, okay, Jesus, it's fine. We believe in you. What are you going to do, bro? fine. You say we must believe in you? Cool. We believe in you. Because if someone comes in and says this, guys, don't be troubled. I got this. Because he says, believe in me. When someone says, believe in me, saying, don't worry, I got this. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a bit comforting. You say you got this. So how do you got this? In my father's house, there are many mansions. I am going to prepare a room for you. What? <laughs> Bro, we are, you, are, you are going to do what? We are, we are about to die here. Yeah, what are you telling us about? Rooms, you're going to prepare rooms. And you're not in my father's house. You are going to... Hey, no, this is not the Jesus we asked for. <laughs> yeah, you you want to call God and say, God, can you bring another one? John, while he was in prison, because he could not comprehend. This is the same John who said, I must decrease so that Jesus Christ increases. This is the John who had been preaching and telling people, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. The Savior is coming. And then after the Savior comes, he finds himself in prison. John finds himself in prison and he sends a message to Jesus. He says, sir, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another one? Because this is not going work. What's happening right now, I don't like it. I've been preaching and telling people that you are coming. Now I'm in jail. It demystifies the fact that he's not here to win earthly battles. How are you going to solve the problem? Jesus, he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I am going to prepare room for you. So what about the situation? I am going to prepare room for you. Yeah, yeah, we hear you're going to prepare room. But what about this situation here now? Bro, you deal with that. I'm going to prepare room. In fact, he doesn't say you prepare. He doesn't say you deal with it. This is what he says. He says... You, when you read John 14 going down, I'm now not on my sermon anymore. When you read John 14 going down, he says, you will do greater exploits than those that I have done. So he says, remain here and do greater things than the ones that I have done. 
And then the question is, what has he done? So when Jesus Christ says we will do greater things than he, what he has done, he's not talking about the quality, he's talking about the quantity. So what we will do is not in quality, it's not different things. We will do what he has done just in greater quantities. So when Jesus, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to save the lost. And he was saying to them, you will save more people than I have. You will preach the gospel to more people than I have. And we see exhibit one of that in Acts 2. Peter saves 3,000 people in one sitting. Jesus, how many people did Jesus save? Yeah, 12, and then one fell by the wayside. So, <laughs> so, so, because sometimes when we, when, we, when we read the scripture that says you will do greater things, we are talking about, no, you will do greater things. Hey, you will build bigger companies. Hey, you will have bigger cars. You will have private jet. You will have this. Jesus, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not part of the conversation. Jesus said, greater works shall ye do. He's talking about preaching the gospel. We shall preach the gospel using Facebook. We shall preach the gospel using TikTok. We shall preach the gospel to bigger numbers. We shall preach the gospel to in stadiums. We shall preach the gospel. When you talk about the scripture, you must imagine yourself preaching the gospel, not any other thing. When he says greater things shall ye do, he means you shall preach the gospel at a greater quantity. At a greater quantity. Not. Because that's why when he presents a solution to the heart being troubled, he says, I'm going to prepare room. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. So you better start preaching the gospel because those mansions need people to feel. Those mansions I'm going to prepare need people to occupy. Preach the gospel. Read the Bible in its context. So did you understand? So you know, I'm going to be walking in my mansion. Also, wait, we're not, it's, it's the, the correct translation is not mentioned. Room, tent, in fact, is the better translation. Before you assume that you have a mansion somewhere. It is taken from the story of Abraham. The, the, the picture, Abraham, he had many, he, what, what was happening is he had a house. And then how they did it in ancient times is that, that they all lived together. And those mansions, he would extend it by putting another tent next to his tent. And they would keep on extending them to create room. So there are people who are committing suicide because they are like, in heaven, I have a mansion. <laughs> so people who are intense right now, they are practicing very well. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Please, don't take this clip and then now you make it a theological stance. It's not. I am creating. And, and, and so we need to, man, it's good. You know when it's, but about Jesus, in, when you go down, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I shall do it. And before that, he says, you must follow my ways. 
So it means when you follow my ways, my ways become a part of you. Then whatever you are asking, you are asking as a result of having followed my ways, then that I will do. So the prerequisite to God to doing that which you ask is asking when you are following his way, according to his will, not your will. So we cannot just quote that scripture. And he's talking in the context of preaching the gospel. If you ask for power to preach the gospel, ask and I will give you. If you ask for wisdom to preach the gospel, ask and I will give you. If you ask for resources to preach the gospel, ask and I will give you. Why? Because there are many mansions in my, in my father's house. We need to fill up the mansions. But we use that scripture to talk about anything else but preaching the gospel. So he says, you will do great exploits and whatever you need to do the great exploits. In my name, ask and I'll give you. This great exploits, you will do greater than what I've done. I've created a prototype. You will just reproduce what I've created. So do you realize that it's just talking about the preaching of the gospel? The problem we're sitting with in this church is that people now feel like, Muruti, so when, when is our time coming? <laughs> Where it's really just about me. <laughs> and and I'm, it's coming, guys. Valentine was here last week. He encouraged you guys. That was your encouragement for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Says, says, let not your heart be troubled. Now let me, let me talk about the heart. The, says, let not your heart be, be troubled. Sarah says, there are some things in the world you rely on, like a sure bet. And when they let you down, shifting from where you carefully place them, it shakes your faith right where you stand. We, we have placed God in this position where he is attending to all our needs. And oftentimes, when our needs are not met, our faith is shaken, we move him. He does no longer, is no longer God. We now say, you know what, God? Let me take the wheel. Because you are not producing as I expected you to produce. You did not read the fine prince. The fine prince is that he has come to set the captives free. The fine prince is that he has come to open the eyes of the blind. The fine prince is that he has come to declare the year of the lost favor. What is the year of the lost favor? The year of the lost favor is when he's releasing his people from Egypt and taking them to the promised land. What is the favor of God and his fullest display is when we are being freed from sin and we are stepping into the light. You understand that being saved is such a big favor? You're like, yo, I was such a broken person and I got an opportunity to be called the righteousness of God. What a favor. What favor is this? But you know when we talk about favor, me and you, we talk about that one that Huh? 
where he's, 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 he's moving things mightily for you in a meeting. Jojo. I'm here to declare the year of the Lord's favor. What is the year of Jubilee? What is the year of the Lord's favor? It is a year where it is a time where people are getting saved. It's a year of plenty where a lot of people are moving from the darkness into the light. It is the year of good news. What is good news? Good news is the gospel. When we talk about the year of good news, it's the year when we are. So this year we said it's the year of good news, right? Yes. <laughs> How many of you have shared the good news? But you know the, the temptation blew. When we said it's a year of good news, we we're talking about our lives getting better. Yeah, I'm, it is, when, when people send me their testimonies, and it's not wrong, guys, I'm just, when people send me their testimonies, Muruti, I got one, two, three. Indeed, it is the year of the Lord's favor. It is a year of good news. All right? Indeed, my sister, have you shared the good news? Have you shared the good news? So, the reason we are not experiencing the fullness of Christ is because we did not understand what he actually came for. And, and we see him as an underperformer because we don't know what he came to do. We are judging him on things he did not come to do. Because if we had to judge him on what he came to do, he is overperforming. If we have to judge him on what he actually came for, Matilda, he is overperforming. Just the fact that he saved this guy, I'm like, Jesus, well done. You are, you are good, man. Like you are, you are good at your thing. You know what you're doing. Just saving this guy, I'm like, no ways. There was no one who could, this one. Jesus says, I got this. And I'm like, then, then this guy's good. But because we are measuring him according to our promotions, our cars, our health, our marriages, and all these things, he's underperforming. Let not your heart be troubled. As guys, I promised myself, today I'm just going to encourage the church. Like I was like, today <laughs> I'm going to encourage the church. But are you encouraged, Bazalwan? <laughs> not yet. It's getting there. So Jesus gives the command. He says, let not, I have 12 minutes. God can redeem 12 minutes. Let not your hearts be troubled. That word, be troubled, is a Greek word, terasesto. 
what does it mean to sit in commotion? So Jesus is saying, I'm not saying there won't be trouble. Just not, don't let your heart sit in commotion. He says, trouble will happen around you, but don't allow your heart to sit in commotions. Believe in me and also as you have believed in the Father. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, man, trouble is going to come, but don't let the trouble, listen, there will be trouble around you, but don't let the trouble sit inside of you. There's that quote that says that the, the ship is not sunk by the water that is around it. It is sunk by the water that is inside of it. So don't let the troubles of the world stay inside of you. So Jesus is not saying to them, he's not saying to them, don't be anxious, don't be whatever. He's saying to them, don't allow it to sit in your heart. Don't allow it to sit in your heart. Don't allow it to harbor in your heart. Because the, the genesis of most of our physical diseases is what we have allowed to harbor in our hearts. There is stuff that is in our hearts that is not supposed to be there. Jesus says, listen, man, and how do you protect yourself from harboring things in your heart? You believe in me. Believing in Christ is a protection. It protects our heart from being from, from harboring, from harboring trouble. It says, don't let your heart sit in commotion. Don't let your heart sit in commotion. Don't let the situation confuse you to a point where you forget who I am. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Still believe that I am God. He says, don't allow the situation to make you forget who I am. He puts as an antidote when I'm Matilda to say, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. He already gives us an answer right there. How do you not let your heart be troubled? By believing in me the same way you believed in the Father. The Father promised you that I am coming. Believe that I have indeed come. Believe that in the midst of the crucifixion, I am still God. He says, believe that in the midst of crucifixion, I am still the wonderful counselor. Believe that I am still the mighty God. Believe that I am still the strong God. Believe that I am still the prince of priests. Believe that the government is still standing on my shoulders. You see, even if things are falling apart, believe that the governments are still standing on my shoulders. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let stuff, because the, the thing about problems is that they come and they contend with our knowledge of who God is. Challenges in this world, the one thing they challenge at the core is your knowledge of God. It says, believe that I am still anointed. Believe that I am still proclaiming the good news. Believe that I am still opening the eyes of the Believe that I am still the great I am. Even as you are going through trial, believe that I am who I said I am. How many times when we are going through challenges, we forget who he is? It is the first thing that is always in question when things are not going well. If God is indeed loving, trouble will come and test your trusting in God. Trouble will come. That's why, that's why, that's why Proverbs 44 verses 23, it says, above all else, 
Guard your heart. Lord Jesus, don't let your heart be troubled. From out of it flows the issues of life. The, the first point, if, if your faith is under attack, is, is the position and the posture of your heart. You start feeling yourself pulling away, then you know that your faith is under attack. Your love for God, you, 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 man, you know, problems has a way of stifling our love for God. Because they challenge our knowledge of God. That's why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believed God. Also believe in me. Don't, don't let it move from there. There's a guy who says, by, by to, uh, Tonya, he says, uh, Omofeye. I think it's from there in uh, Matilda's uh, uh, home, 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 home country. There. He says, love everyone, but do not give away your heart just to anyone. Your heart is not a gift. It's a price. Your heart is not a gift to be just given to everyone willy-nilly. Your heart is a prize and your heart is already won. That's why the Bible says we have been bought with a high price. And you need to look at confusion and say, my heart is not a gift for you. My heart is a prize and Christ has already won the price. My heart is not a gift for confusion. So my heart is not a gift to, to, to insecurity. My heart is not a gift. My heart is not a gift to nonsense. My heart is not, my heart is the dwelling place of my Savior. I am not going to allow my God to dwell in the midst of rubbish. I'm not going to allow commotion to sit in my heart. You need to fight, Mzalwan. Fight not for the commotion to sit in your heart. Because that place is reserved for God and God alone and his love. It is a price that has already been won. It is not a gift to give to people and to give to things. My heart is not a gift to confusion, to fear, to insecurity, to evil desires, to dysfunction, to jealousy and disobedience. My heart is a price and Christ has bought it with a high price. Say, I'm not going to allow these things. Despondency starts when we allow the, the cares of this world to sit in our hearts. That's why God, God, he says, don't let your heart be, be troubled. You are bought with a price. Listen to what uh, 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 David says, Psalm 119, 28 to 29. He says, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege to know your instructions. Why? Because when we allow heads to dwell in our hearts, it's only a matter of time before we create and believe lies in our heads. In a relationship, when your partner does something and you allow that thing to sit in your heart, it's only a matter of time before you start creating lies in your head. And you start saying, they don't love me. Because you have, you have, you have, guys, pain in the heart will result, if you keep it there, will result to lies in your head. 
I've seen how many people have lost their salvation because they were offended at God. They kept the offense in their hearts. And the, the minute you believe a lie about God, you are about to destroy your life. That's why Jesus says, man, don't let your heart be troubled. It's about to get bumpy, but believe that I am who I said I am. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Right now, to sit in your heart, how many of us, our relationship with Christ has depreciated and lost its fire because we allowed the disappointment to sit in our hearts. We allowed the frustration to sit in our heart. You're like, God, you have disappointment. You have disappointed me so much. He says, but I saved you. And that's where I started where I started. Because we are disappointed in God for things he, he has nothing to do with. He says, but I, but Tanya, I saved you. I, I, I loved you. I, I gave you my Holy Spirit. I call you my righteousness. I disappointed you. I have paid for your sins. I've taken away your shame. I've taken away your guilt. I've taken away your punishment. I've, 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 I've brought you back to life. I have disappointed you. What do you mean? You were lost. You were dead. I saved you. I disappointed you. It's like, we, you were out in the cold. No clothes, nothing. And I come through and I say, hey man, come into my house. You had no parents. You had no food, you had no clothes, you had not eaten in days, you had not had water, you had nothing. You were actually at the brink of dying. Your heart was weak. The doctors were saying you are dying, your kidneys were, your organs were, were failing. And I come and I say, I will be a donor. And I give you a part of my liver and a part of my, my kidney. I say, here, give him some. And then you come into my house. And then on the day we're sitting there and we're eating pop and cabbage and you look at me in the face and say, you are disappointing me. Where is the steak? I'm like, the lamb that is in you is mine. The kidney that is inside of you is mine. This house is mine. You were out in the cold and... Because you are not eating steak, you are saying, I disappointed you. It's because we don't play what he did on the cross. That's why when things are not going, when material things are not going well, we say he's disappointing us. He says, after all I've done, I'm disappointing you because you have not gotten a job? Because you have not gotten married, because things are not going well financially, I've disappointed you after saving your soul from the wrath, from eternal 
determination because you are still sick in your body. I've, I've, I have let you down. God is probably, guys, make it make sense. Make it make sense to me because I don't get it. Because I don't, I don't get it. Says, don't let your heart be troubled. You are supposed to be going to hell, but I'm going to prepare room for you in my father's house. Your destination was eternal damnation. But I've saved you from that. I'm going to prepare room for you in my father's house. And you're like, but Jesus, what about, what about my job? What about my... And the reason I'm preaching this, guys, is because as Christians, we have not learned how to go through tough times. We don't know how to process our salvation in light of difficult situations. Salvation is equal to soft life to us. And when the life is not soft, we cannot make sense of it. It's because we did not understand what it was meant to achieve. What was the point of his coming? He says, don't let your heart be troubled. That's why David says, encourage me by your word and keep me from lying to myself. Encourage me with your word and keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Man. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. See, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, and we demolish arguments and every pretension, every pretension that sets itself above the knowledge of God. We demolish any argument in our heads that sets itself above the knowledge of God. And we bring it under the subjection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What are we saying? We're saying, poverty, I know my God. Lack, I know my God. Confusion, I know my God. Pain, I know my God. You are not going to set yourself above my God. I know my God. And even if he does not save me from you, I know him. I know him. Even if this does not change, I know my God. I know what is happening here. You are not going to use this to lie to me. You are not going to use this to set yourself above God. Because anything that moves you up away from God has set itself above God. Anything that moves you away from God and his things has become your God. 
He says, and we demolish every argument. We are not going to have a nice conversation with any argument that wants me to believe that God is not seated on the throne. I demolish it. Anything that wants me to, to believe that God is not able, I demolish it. Anything that wants me to believe that he did not do a finished work on the cross, I demolish it. Anything that says salvation is not enough, I demolish it. Because I know my God. Trouble come to test our belief in God. When we are in troubling situation, we'll always be tempted to stop trusting the source. You need to be able to sit in it and say, He is the source. The ability to sit in it and say, He is the source. So even if I'm not healed, He is the source of healing. Even if it's not going well, he is still the source. What he has done for me is more than I can ever be thankful for. He is the source. What he has done for me on the cross, it is more than, so I believe in him. I believe in what he has done. I believe that he's still the wonderful counselor. I believe that he's still the prince of peace. I believe that he's still the everlasting father. I believe that he's still the mighty warrior. I believe that the government are still sitting on his shoulder. I believe that he has saved me from my sin. I believe that he has saved me from the punishment of my sin. I believe that he has saved me from the wrath of God. I believe that he has saved me from eternal damnation. I believe that he has done enough for me. I cannot even tell it all when I remember what the Lord has done for me. There is no way I'm going to doubt him now. I believe in him and because I believe in him, I'm not going to allow trouble to dwell in my heart. I'm not going to allow trouble to sit in my heart. I'm not going to allow it to sit in my heart. I am going to say he is the one who is sitting on the throne of my heart. And I want to pray for someone this morning who says, I have not accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I just, there is a, in Daniel 7, Daniel 11, Daniel 11 speaks about a guy who's called the king from the north. He comes and he oppresses the people of God. And after he oppresses the people of God, the Bible in Daniel 11, verses 32 says, and he will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant but the people who know their God will be strong and they will resist him the people who know their God they shall be strong and they will resist because we know our God and we know what he has done 
And if you are here, you say, I have not accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior with everyone's eyes closed. It says, I want to know him personally and I want to know him intimately. If you are here, I just want to raise your hand and I just want to pray with you. If you are here, say, I have not, I've not known him personally and I have allowed trouble to dwell in my heart, but I now want him to be the one who dwells in my heart. If you are here, just want to raise your hand and I want to pray with you. We're all good. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have saved us. We're so grateful. We're so, 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 so grateful. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of righteousness. It is enough for us. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church of God said. Thank you for joining us today. We believe that this message has been a blessing to you. Why not be a blessing to someone else by sharing this message with them? Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Goodbye and God bless.